Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Understanding Climate Finance podcast. This is Fahim Narali, the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner based out of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, D.C. In this next series of podcasts, I'm actually going to break format and go beyond the 20 minutes that you're used to, because these are the recordings from the Climate Finance Roundtable that we held uh, virtually May 25th, May 26th, and May 27th. I think this series is really, really interesting and really, really important for anyone that's looking to do projects in emerging markets. Overall, the question that we were trying to answer in this series is, if there's so much money in climate finance, what does it take to get deployed? So our first two sessions focus on the supply of capital and demand of capital in climate finance, particularly at the project level. So this session, which you're about to hear, has a Canadian entrepreneur as a moderator talking to investment officers from FinDev Canada, the International Finance Corporation, or IFC for short, and IDB Invest. And what you'll hear is these investment officers providing their perspectives as to what an investable project looks like and how they best utilize the capital that they have for climate finance. This is really going to be educational for any Canadian project developer looking to work with these institutions. So I hope you enjoy it. And also forgive us for any audio skips because there were some technical difficulties during the live session, which we have edited out for the purposes of this podcast. And of course, let us know if you have any comments um, and questions. And I hope you enjoyed this first session. So now I'd like to introduce our esteemed moderators and, call and, and guests. Christian Ray, our moderator this morning, is the Chief Executive Officer at JCM Power. He'll be talking to Paolo Martelli, Chief Investment Officer at FinDev Canada, Elizabeth Roberts, Lead Investment Officer at IDB Invest, and Nuru Lama, Manager for Global Energy International Finance Corporation. So thanks again, everyone, for being here. Now over to you, Christian. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be moderating this panel uh, this morning with such a diverse group of panelists and attendees. I hope that you all enjoy the session and we will look forward to taking your questions uh, later in the session. My name is Christian Ray. I am the co-founder and the CEO of JCM Power, an independent power producer operating in emerging and frontier markets. We currently own two operational wind farms in Pakistan, have two solar PV projects under construction in Malawi, and have a robust development pipeline spanning Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. We are based in Toronto and have regional offices in South Africa, Pakistan, Malawi, and Nigeria. Uh, JCM Power uh, began working with IFIs and DFIs in 2014 as we made our first project development investment in Sub-Saharan Africa. A small co-investment from FMO, the Dutch Development Bank, and the development grant from the Africa Development Bank became the foundation for raising more than 200 million in institutional funding over the next six years. With recent equity closings at the company level, JCM Power now has five DFI investors, including FinDev Canada, who made an investment in JCM in late 2019. We have seen numerous trends over the past six years, including technologies that have come in and out of favor. Preferred funding vehicles have also changed and evolved, ranging from private equity investment to platform investment, to project level investment. And as we all know, the global economy has seen a tremendous amount of volatility and uncertainty as we faced a global pandemic since early 2020. This morning, we have leaders from three of the leading global institutions that are allocating significant amounts of capital into climate related investing, IFC, IDB, and FinDev Canada, who are going to provide their valued insights into market trends and opportunities in the climate space. I now invite Nuru, Elizabeth, and Paolo to join the panel. Each of the panelists, starting with Paolo Martelli from FinDev Canada, will now introduce themselves and their organizations. Over to you, Paolo. Thank you, Christian. Hello, everyone. This is Paolo Martelli, the Chief Investment Officer of FinDev Canada. Uh, FinDev Canada is Canada's uh, Development Finance Institution, or, or DFI for short. We were set up in uh, 2018 to, to finance development. And what that means is that we finance projects or transactions in our areas of, um, of, of focus 
uh, to advance development. And that means three things for us. It means local market development. It means uh, climate change and adaptation and women's economic empowerment. We look at all three aspects when we look at a transaction uh, before we go ahead and, and proceed. What we do is we provide both debt and equity solutions to our clients. Um, and we focus in three main sectors. One of them is financial intermediaries. The second is agribusiness and the value chain. Uh, and the third one is green growth, which is meant to be fairly broad and allows us to finance all types of vehicles and entities. That's it on FinDev Canada. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. Over to you, Elizabeth. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for the opportunity to participate today. I appreciate it. My name is Elizabeth Roberex. I am a um, a principal investment officer with IDB Invest. IDB Invest is the private sector arm of the IDB Group. We are a multilateral development bank focused on uh, Latin America and the Caribbean. And um, so IDB would be looking at more of the sovereign guaranteed part of the the portfolio and IDB Invest is focused on transactions with the private sector. And I am in the uh, the group that works in infrastructure projects, infrastructure and energy. Uh, for that group, I lead the team for Mexico, the Caribbean and Central America. So, so that's my role. And the main sectors where we're focused on in infrastructure are energy with a very, very strong focus on renewable energy and energy efficiency technologies, as well as water and sanitation, um, transport and health and education. Um, so we we offer loans, guarantees, uh, equity. We we have local currency capabilities in in various member countries, and we have a very strong local presence um, in in each of the member countries uh, where where we're doing projects. So thank you very much. Looking forward to the discussion. Um, with those introductions, uh, we'll now move into uh, into a panel discussion. Uh, we'll start with um, with a question for Elizabeth, um, which relates to how IDB is sourcing opportunities in the climate space. Can you tell us a little bit more about trends in the space? Aside from utility scale wind and solar, what kinds of opportunities are emerging and of interest for you? I noted your recent investment in Segura Haiti as a very interesting one. What can you tell us about that investment? Thanks, Christian. Uh we're we're definitely we're sourcing um, projects in a lot of different ways, all kinds of ways. Um, as I said, uh, IDB is a group where we have a public sector side and a private sector side, and we work very closely together with our public sector colleagues. So we we do have that upstream team working with governments to try to promote um, climate change. You know policies, institutional changes that support that, you know, the the goals that that lead to these types of transitions in markets as well as, you know, pilot projects and things like that that become financeable for IDB Invest where we have a lot of examples of, of that. We're working right now on the public sector side. There's kind of a major energy transition going on in Barbados right now, re really strong um, transition toward renewables. And our public sector colleagues are working on, you know, Know, the the structural changes as well as development of a, a power purchase agreement for renewables and then we are on the private sector side eager to finance the projects that come out of that in in the case of Barbados so we certainly um, have done um, a lot of work in, that we're we're benefiting from the work being done by our colleagues on the on the public sector side the covid has obviously had a pretty big impact um, and we've we've certainly seen a slowdown in those um, sort of utility scale projects that you mentioned Christian the governments I think are really just focused on you know making sure people are are staying safe and and trying to to you know avoid the impact of the pandemic and so there's been delays in big projects and permitting and a lot of different things uh, but we have seen sort of a shift I would say toward um, you know sort of distributed generation versus the utility scale projects because people are at home people are kind of a little more spread out and so they're looking to kind of draw their generation source to where they are, become more sustainable on their own. You know, I think there's this more of a, a, a real understanding that things can change overnight and you want to be prepared. And so we've seen a lot more demand for uh, util uh, sort of distributed generation, which would be mostly solar and battery solutions, but also um, 
you know, just rooftop solar for a lot of small and medium enterprises that are are looking to, um, uh, you know, just try to avoid relying on the grid so much, I would say. Um, and, and there are a lot of innovative solutions we've seen for those projects that um, that we're working on. We've just been mandated for um, projects in in Jamaica as well as in Mexico in the in this distributed generation space and and we've also seen you know a lot of work on new technologies during this this time we have been looking a lot into the hydrogen space we see that as being a technology that is going to be extremely important in the future and something that's emerging in Latin America um, and and right now it's mostly you know, industrial use, um, but there is really a push for green hydrogen production and um, all the benefits that can come from that. Um, and, and so there's a lot of work being done both on the public sector side and the private sector side and some some investments that are um, coming to fruition, I think, on the private sector side in in Chile and in, in Trinidad, as well as in Costa Rica. So we're following them carefully. We've also seen um, offshore wind project proposals, um, you know, um, uh, floating solar, a lot of uh, new technologies that have, for some reason, people sitting at home bored have been getting creative and trying to, you know, um, introduce new technology. So it's, it's, you know, it's been a difficult time in some ways, but for sure there are still a lot of opportunities and, um, and we're seeing um, some, some real evolution in the market right now. Yeah, it's been very interesting. We, um, as a company, we started in the CNI space when on when Ontario had a, a very attractive feed-in tariff program, and then we moved into utility scale. and uh, And we've we've made similar observations that uh, in a lot of the countries we operate, the government uh, it, it either can't handle more uh, intermittent power on the grid because of the the infrastructure they have in place, and start seeing a trend back into distributed generation and CNI, which, which is an interesting observation for us. And um, yeah, I think the other uh, notable observation is, is that you talk about that, how your public and private side are working together and potentially benefiting each other as you, as you help governments uh, enable, en enable uh, new infrastructure uh, investment in the country. And I, I suspect we'll hear, uh, you know, similar, similar background from Nuru when, uh, when we get them back on, uh, on board here has, has Nuru I could talk about so uh, Segura for a minute. I forgot to mention that when you asked me about Segura, um, and 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 I'm sure Nuru will be with us in a minute. Hopefully, his his technological issues are resolved. The Segura project is, in a way, sort of distributed generation in the sense that it's a mini grid project that's up in Haiti, uh, in the northwest of Haiti, that um, is being developed by a U.S. company called Segura Haiti, a U.S.-based company um, that has created a, uh, a company in Haiti called Segura Haiti to develop this project. They've been working on it, and they've been actually producing. This is an area of Haiti where there's no connection to the national utility. There's no other source of electricity other than personal diesel gensets that individual households may have. And there's a lot of burning of coal and things like that and candles um, for light and, and for cooking purposes, right? Uh, but this is, Segura has set up a utility where they're providing generation, transmission, distribution services, billing, all, all of those things, sort of um, prepay purchases with your phone, a, a, a real, um, use of technology to try to make the bring a good service to their clients and and so they've been they have something like 5,000 connections now and we're funding um, sort of a, a doubling of their size in Northwest Haiti and we have it's been a really um, interesting project just to see the willingness of people to pay for a good service and you know, 24-hour um, power in an area where they have, have been lacking that for so long and the transformation that takes place in the communities as a result, but also, you know, the potential for this to be a model in places like Haiti where there really is, you know, um, there's not, a, you know, um, a, a utility that's been able to provide power to communities uh, many communities in the country for quite a while. So the government of Haiti, as along with the World Bank and our IDB, have been promoting the utilities, or these mini, mini grids, as a way to bring um, electricity to individuals. And we just, 
disperse uh, uh, quite a bit to Segura so that they can start their construction and get going on on their um, expansion in Northwest Haiti. So we, we're very enthusiastic about that as well. It's not an easy transaction. And I'm not going to make it sound like it was easy. <laughs> it took us years to get it done, but it was really uh, it's very rewarding to see the direct impact that those types of projects can have on you know transforming people's lives really. Yeah. I suspect we'll see a trend there, even on the utility scale side. I've heard of projects taking up to 14 years to get through their development <laughs> process to get to financial close. And I think that's one of the one of the big um, difficulties of, of deploying all this capital is, is that you need shovel ready projects and, and yeah. the timeline to get there can can be so long and frustrating that, um, you know, I, I, I suspect we'll all have similar experiences there. Paulo, I'd like to turn it over to you. Um, if you take a look at FinDev's pipeline, where are the most attractive investment opportunities being generated to invest at scale? Thanks, Christian. So similar to uh, um, Elizabeth's, you know, comments, we also saw a number of projects that were either canceled or put on hold, or that you know the sponsor was taking care of of other issues in, in other markets. And so we we definitely saw sort of a a real chill, let's say, in, uh, in last uh, last year for for projects on, on our on our green growth uh, pipeline. Uh, and and we as an organization made a shift, and we definitely sort of saw it as well in terms of funding more climate opportunities through different types of platforms. So I made a reference earlier to one of our sectors being financial intermediaries. For us, for us that means banks, non-bank financials, and private equity funds. So we've been looking at these different types of platforms um, to go ahead and invest in the space again when sponsors are or at least are not doing as much as, as as they were before. I have to sort of share you know Liz's comments in terms of we're seeing. Uh, a little bit more sort of activity and interest in the space. Definitely, we've we've seen uh, certain projects with you know certain larger sponsors or larger institutional sponsors. So definitely, there is interest in the space and it's coming back uh, strong, which is which is great. We need uh, as many sources of of capital as possible in the space. Yeah, I mean we've 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 all touched on it now, which is the the challenge uh, through 2020 and 2021 of deploying capital due to the global pandemic. Uh, certainly, from our own experience. Government shutdowns, travel restrictions have made it difficult to advance projects, uh, but also to perform due diligence on uh, on investment opportunities. Elizabeth, starting with you, uh, how has IDB managed to deploy capital over this difficult period? And do you expect a ramping up of new investments as we find ourselves coming out of the pandemic and able to travel again? Yeah, it has been challenging. Um... I would say, particularly for some of our, you know, smaller clients um, in some of the smaller countries who haven't done the, you know, financings like this for 10 times before, sitting around a table and explaining things and discussing and going through documents can really be useful. So not having the ability to do that has been a challenge for sure. And we've been doing a lot of virtual due diligence. You know, I did a due diligence in a port in Suriname where we had somebody with a drone going over the you know the port with the drone and looking taking photos a video of the of the port and the independent engineers reviewing that you know and we've been using as much as we can um you know local expertise we have um you know we have subcontracting with local experts if if they're there that are on the ground that, that can visit these facilities um better and and trying to plan for the future with you know trying to assign in our projects uh, someone from the local team or you know that can be trained to do some of the technical analysis that we need that you you know so don't count on the fact that your independent engineer is going to be able to travel every three months to the project site really try to get some capacity local and it's a knowledge transfer things as well um, so trying to use some of our capital to get training done for individuals on our client side so that they can can provide some of the technical information that we're looking for. Uh, but, but we've also been, you know, I mean, just in terms of the COVID-19 impact, there has been demand, certainly. And one of the things that we've been doing is providing sort of working capital facilities for some of the utilities in the region, which have been affected you know, with their clients, of course, having uh, trouble paying and they've been giving flexibility to their own customers. And so for the debt that we have with them, even existing facilities or new facilities, they're they're struggling. And we've spent a massive amount of time, you know, with our portfolio, trying to make sure that our clients um, have flexibility and, and can can manage the flexibility that they have to give to their customers, but also these new facilities are really sort of short-term working capital facilities targeted at 
giving them cash during this time when they need it um and 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 basically saying we understand your customers will pay it'll it'll take some time but here's some liquidity during that time so and 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 also just innovation you know we've been looking at trying to create financial instruments that we can deploy um we have a a project just in february we closed a financing in chile where we it's an instrument with ng in chile where you're trying to really incentivize decarbonization ng has this project where they're trying to um get rid of all their coal-fired plants and replace them with wind and solar and so we created a financial instrument that explicitly monetizes the greenhouse gas reduction that happens when they replace you know um the 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 more polluting technologies with the wind and solar and so it's an incentive for them in terms of their financing costs when they can um can do that and and the the financing that we provided to them does that so that was trying to be innovative and incentivize these things while we're we're not able to you know do too much in terms of going and being there on the ground um but it it's so it's been a productive time for sure we've we've seen a growth in in our you know demand and portfolio but i i absolutely agree that once things and and look the our member countries are really still suffering quite dramatically from from covid um i have a number of colleagues in the region who are in lockdown situations and are not able to go anywhere do anything it's it's very very difficult not having access to vaccine so it's we have a long way to go i think um in terms of before we we can see a real recovery in latin america and the caribbean but um but already we are seeing some movement in some of these projects again the bigger projects uh so i i do anticipate that there will be you know sort of a big surge of demand at some point and we'll we'll be ready to meet that demand for sure thanks yeah i think there's a an unfortunate uh combination of both covid and uh, and political uncertainty as well that we've seen certainly in places like sure. Haiti and Peru and and dealing with with both of those challenges at the same time i'm sure is uh is 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 a quite a large challenge for for idb so as as jcm uh, raised capital through the years 2017 to 2019 we were able to benefit from a trend that dfis were looking to fund platforms rather than private equity fund investments or project level investments as you make new investments often with other dfis co-investing alongside you paulo what trends are you noticing in terms of the types of investment structures that are preferred and can you give us an example of a preferred uh, of a project or uh, investment that falls into this structure. Thanks. Uh, you know, from from our perspective, we you know we we find financing platforms very very valuable for us because they enable us to get to certain segments of the market that we can't do ourselves. Um, so we look at at platforms, whether it could be let's say a private equity fund that has a unique blended finance structure, or we look at sort of unique business models that that you know that they will you know that the platform. You know, can take care of clients that we can't do ourselves, and that's that's where we get sort of that that uh, that value. I think what, one example uh, of that is a fund that we invested in called Climate Investor One, and this is a, a fund set up by climate fund managers that has a blended finance structure, which is sort of a layer of, of concessional capital. There's a layer of, of DFI capital, uh, and then there's a layer of, of commercial capital as well. So blending uh, the risk and the return from all three different sources of capital to invest in. Uh, projects on a full on a full equity basis, uh, which is uh, which is quite unique. It's a it's a very interesting model, one that we invested in, and and touching on the trend that that both uh, Liz and I were sort of talking about a little bit earlier about sort of distributed solar generation. One of the largest investments in Climate Investor One is a large distributed solar uh, generation company, which is which is uh, expanding sort of quite. Uh, um, quite well quite aggressively uh which is great to see and as well we we also have sort of direct exposure um uh, to distributed solar through a company called Mcopa it was actually our first uh, investment that we had done uh, and Mcopa is a company that um initially started out providing you know solar panel kits that were connected to uh to simple light bulbs or to enable someone to to sell phones and the company has now evolved into sort of selling the same sort of kits but connected to uh, appliances even selling phones as well so there's definitely sort of a lot of 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 growth and opportunity in that sector and so we're we're happy to to uh, get access in particular through different structures but even the structures themselves lend themselves to uh unique opportunities and business models that uh, we don't get uh, access to all the time I, i'd say i'd add the last point on, on sort of these 
these structures that it, it works really well with what I was saying before in terms of some of the constraints that we have, right? So we can't travel. We've got a small team, so we don't have a large, uh, large team like I do with uh, like IDB with uh, member offices and so forth, like offices in, in each country, which is why we work very closely with uh, with partners such as IDB Invest, uh, also with IFC and others as well. Uh, and that's been uh, it's been important for us to sort of again to reach out to to clients and opportunities that we aren't able to do so uh, on our own up here in uh, in Montreal. Thanks. Moving on to investment themes, uh, Elizabeth, the IDB prioritizes three impact areas, gender equality, inclusion and diversity, climate change and environmental sustainability, and institutional capacity in the rule of law. What is your advice for those approaching the IDB for climate-related investment funding? Yes, we, I mean, we certainly do prioritize those areas. We're a development bank. I would say one of the things that are CEO uh, James Scriven will often, you know, talk about in you hear it just just his natural priorities is he cares so much about who we're doing business with as much as what we're financing. You know, so if we're sitting in a committee tr trying to decide whether we're doing something, we spend a lot of time talking about who is the client, who is this partner, because what we're really trying to develop is a long term relationship with our clients and 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 so we're looking to not just finance one off investments really wanting to build these relationships and building those relationships means working on you know the clients um, in terms of promoting gender equality, promoting better governance, promoting uh, you know environmental sustainability with their with their investments. We we and none of these things happen overnight, you know. Um, uh, but my advice would be, you know, come to us with an open mind. We we certainly want to hear about your project. We want to know what you're doing. We want to work with you um, closely, but understand that. We're we're going to try to um, add value. You know, we're going to be, and we have the tools and we have resources to offer and bring to the table in terms of expertise as well as financial assistance. You know, um, technical assistance and things like that. But we're we're we really are trying to promote um, you know Im improvements in these areas with our clients, and so we we have those discussions. I, I would say you know being willing to. Um, you know, work with us on those areas is something that we see very, very favorably. And, you know, and, and, and I think when you have a good client partner that's willing to do that with you, it's beneficial to them as much as it is, you know, toward meeting those goals that we're looking to achieve. Um, so, I mean, that's, I would say the, the main advice, but, and I know working with the development bank can sometimes has this kind of perception of being a real headache and and probably Christian, you know better than than most what it can be like. But I do think I do think we at least I can say for IDB invest we've we've gotten a lot faster, a lot more efficient, a lot more aligned with you know to meet the timeline of our private sector clients. But being very transparent, we're going to be looking into the environmental sustainability and your you know your your gen we're going to be asking for how many women work for you. We're going to be asking for where are the positions. We're going to be asking for a lot of information and really trying to again build that capacity over time. So if you're you're open to doing that, we you know love to engage with clients with with new projects. Yeah, our, our experience has been quite interesting over the years. I mean, we started with um, things like co-investment, uh, where where I would say they're more simplified structures that are put together. Um, and over time, we we moved to having corporate investment in the company, and we moved from a shareholders agreement of you know somewhere near fifty pages to one that was closer to three hundred pages. <laughs> by the time we had all the policies and reporting and and, and all that stuff, but. Um, Certainly are so I, I wouldn't uh, describe it as a headache, but I would describe it as more institutional and um, and requiring a more careful effort around a number of different areas uh, and and certainly reporting and but we've been able to benefit from uh, the expertise of our of our investors and and TA grants and things like that to put together a better a better company and 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 better impact for for those that uh, those communities that we work with so um i i would very much uh, describe it as positive but yeah really a, a quite a quite a large effort to um to get there um Nuru, we're going to try to turn it over to you again see if uh, see if we fix the technical uh difficulties so um if if you could try to introduce yourself again that would be wonderful all right christian let me give it a try uh can you Thank hear you. me now sounds great so far okay okay 
So uh, once again, apologies, uh, everyone uh, here. Uh, Nuru Lama, manager for Global Energy, uh, uh, based out of DC um, with IFC. Um, as I was uh, mentioning, IFC is the private sector arm of the World Bank Group, uh, and we work across uh, all emerging markets uh, with a special emphasis on uh, low-income countries. Uh, in terms of climate uh, business, uh, renewables is uh, the core at the core of our uh, climate and energy strategy, and uh, we've been investing in renewables for a long time. Uh, started mostly with uh, hydros and geothermal initially, uh, but uh, uh, since early 2000, we dabbled into solar and wind. In fact, we are uh, we call ourselves pioneers in terms of looking at uh, solar and wind in uh, emerging markets. Uh, started with small uh, uh, small megawatts, uh, but obviously the industry has moved a lot, uh, and we have moved a lot in terms of ramping up uh, a lot on solar and wind. We have now uh, financed uh, 11 gigawatts of solar and uh, wind projects, and most of that in the last five years. And uh, you know we will, we we continue to focus more on doing uh, much more on, on the renewable space. Uh, so uh, sorry again that I couldn't uh, join from the beginning uh, with the technical rich, uh, but uh, look forward to now participating in the discussion. Thank you. We hear you loud and clear now. So this is, uh, this is great to have you uh, formally with us. Uh, Nuru, IFC has taken a unique approach to developing capital, sorry, deploying capital in the climate space. Uh, by actively developing its own pipeline with programs such as scaling solar and through infraventures. How has this approach helped IFC to deploy significant funds? Uh, and are these programs expected to continue to deliver new investment opportunities over the coming years to IFC? Sure, thanks. Um, you know, we kind of have a two-pronged approach to, to the climate business and overall, the overall business here at IFC. You know, in, in the larger established markets where there is already a track record of financing renewables, uh, you know, markets like India or Egypt or Brazil. Uh, we continue to do a lot of renewables and you know, by the sheer size of, of, the, of those markets, uh, there are sizable opportunities and, and that drives quite a bit of volume for us. Uh, but uh, then there's the other side, which is the lesser developed uh, and frontier markets, uh, especially in Africa, where we see significant barriers to deploying renewables at scale. Uh, so these barriers could be institutional barriers, regulatory, commercial, or other factors that are holding back the market. And, uh, you know, investors also have a high uh, risk perception in these markets. Uh, and really, so our, our intention here is to unlock these barriers uh, and working with governments, working with our uh, uh, client partners, other, other DFIs, to really help uh, uh, unlocks a lot of these uh, barriers. So, uh, be it really working with the government on on uh, sector reform issues, on institutional capacity building, or helping to design the renewable procurement program uh, through uh, platforms like Scaling Solar that we have, or through putting early stage uh, co-development financing under Interventures. Uh, what what we really are trying to do is what we call creating markets by going upstream, uh, and that's a big part of our strategy nowadays. Um, it, it's to help develop a, a pipeline of bankable projects, uh, and, and you know this is not just for us. Uh, it's we we think of this as more creating markets for for everybody, and and, and the projects that we develop, we see those are as you know the first of the kind projects that really will help to unlock the market and will lead to a series of uh, projects uh, in that market. So it, it's about increasing the size of the pie, and uh, you know we've done that uh, over the years. Um, just to give a couple of examples, you know, for example, uh, in Cameroon, we uh, worked uh, for a number of years to help develop the Nashtigal hydro project with EDF. Uh, in Nepal, we developed the 260 megawatt um, upper hydro project. And, and these projects, you know, take a number of years, takes a lot of uh, resource and time uh, from everyone. Um, and Christian, as you know, as a developer in developing countries, uh, there are lots of challenges uh, in the process. Uh, and, and lots of ups and downs. Um, so, you know, we, we take sort of a venture capital kind of um, uh, uh, approach here to, to, to try to develop uh, several projects in different markets uh, to unlock the markets. Uh, some work, some don't work, but when they work, uh, it's beautiful uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the impact that we can generate in terms of the, the number of projects that uh, can lead uh, on from that one project, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's really a long-lasting impact that we can see uh, from, from our project. So, so it, it's an area of focus that we will continue to build on. Um, and, and like you said, you know, we hope that helps everybody and not just ISP. Yeah, no, thank you. That's thank very you. helpful. 
certainly we've we've made that observation from uh, from our our operations in Pakistan, where we benefit from a lot of the work that um, that IFC did with the government there and providing uh, an investable market for uh, for companies like JCM. So um, you know the the private market and and the IFIs, I think, can work very well together once once the system is in place. To make these investments, then the private sector can can step in and and do its thing as well. So um, certainly, we're we're a beneficiary of of a lot of those efforts that both yourself and Elizabeth uh, have have um, discussed in in the session today. Um, I'm going to move us back to uh, impact themes uh, and advice for those seeking capital. Uh, Paulo FinDev Canada applies a few impact lenses to its investments, with the goal to create jobs and local development, empower women and mitigate climate change. How can a project developer prepare itself to become investable in the eyes of FinDev Canada? And can you give, give an example of working with an investee to improve one of these impact areas? And since I've seen one of the questions come through about uh, ensuring that women have access to capital, um, maybe you can elaborate on, uh, on, on your efforts to advance women's economic empowerment. Sounds great. Thank, thank you, Christian. So I think similar to the other, to the others on the on the line and a sort of peer multilaterals and NDFIs, we'll always look for sort of a bankable project with the right sort of sponsor and the right right technology and and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then and then we each DFI multilateral has their themes, right? And and I think you'll find for most of them, it'll either be a combination of of, of gender, climate, or perhaps a, a few others. Ours is, is local market development, and obviously we heard Liz about uh, uh, strengthening institutional uh, capacity from from the IDP side. For us, when we're looking at a at a, at a project or a platform. Uh, at least in the climate space, with, with regards to women's economic empowerment, I have to say we we look at it uh, seriously and and holistically, sort of throughout our investment process, and we look also at the investee, sort of if it's if it's if it's throughout, if they're actually sort of living it and not just putting together a fancy a fancy slide deck about about certain things. So for us, we we'll look at. Uh, items related to gender at our, at our first committee, sort of our, our eligibility committee, and then as well at, at credit, and then as well at board. Um, so we take it fairly seriously. For, for our project to, to do well, we, we, we need um, clients to be open to sort of work with us to improve what they're doing and, and, and ensure that the project uh, does improve the lives of, of women on, on the ground, wherever this, this project is located. And that can sort of take itself in many different forms. So you could have projects that have a fair amount of, of uh, representation of women, whether in, in sort of the employees, management, uh, ownership of, of the company, whether um, they have certain policies in place uh, that, that protect uh, women and improve uh, their situation at work. Uh, same with the policies with regards to suppliers and so forth. So if if there's a company that has has done that work, that's great. That will help you sort of stand out for us. But we're also willing, you know, to work with companies as well, saying, hey, we want to do better on certain things, and we also have resources and expertise uh, that we can draw on to help companies do better that we can sort of put together as as part of the uh, part of the financing. I think the question you you asked, uh, Christian, I think that, that someone had asked about. Um, I think the exact question was like finance in the in, in the hands of women. I think it was. Uh, how do you ensure that women have access to capital? So I think it's a little bit different sort of from the theme today talking about climate finance, but I'm happy to, to speak about it uh, in general. So again, a lot of the financing we've done over the last 12 months has been focused on platforms. And, and for us, the way we ensure uh, the women have access to capital is to require part of the use of proceeds to be allocated towards uh, either women-owned or run businesses. Um, and, and that's sort of the, the best way that we do that and the easiest way to do that right now with uh, with uh, financial inter intermediaries. But when we're looking at um, when we're looking at again different projects and platforms, we ask questions like, "How do you sort of uh, help ensure that women have more access to capital?" So that we understand that that's sort of built into the investees process as well. Um, but that's that's I'd say a little bit separate from from climate. But we are, as I mentioned earlier, we are sort of looking for that nexus of of uh, climate and and gender, and so uh, we're we're working hard with that uh, again with our partners. Thanks, Paulo. Elizabeth, did you want to add anything to that? Are there are there efforts that the IDB is undertaking to promote uh, women's access to capital? Well, I mean, we we have a whole group at the bank that um, is uh, that focuses at at IDB Invest that focuses on lending to financial institutions, and um, we we do invest in you know sort of gender bonds, thematic bonds that are focused towards women-owned businesses, women-owned um, initiatives. And, and so that's certainly something that we do on that level. You know, and, and on a project by project level, we have 
you know, we 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 have these conversations where you know we we have um, a team uh, that we can sit down with that is our our, our gender team that really can provide um, very specific recommendations and analyzing the way that a certain company from some of the some of the bigger companies have quite a big infrastructure for this already, right? That they they already are really looking at this deeply themselves. But some of this medium sized partners that we work with, we really, I think we can add value by um, having these conversations and recommending um, initiatives that they can do to um, to benefit women um, more directly in their organizations. Um, uh, and in terms of access to capital, I would say, you know, um, we we are looking at it more through our our the branch that is looking that that lends directly to financial institutions and and you know it, it, investing in those types of of bonds that are targeting um, women owned businesses and things like that um, as well. So different ways. I, I don't think it's quite as much of a focus for us as as maybe it is for FinDev, but we we certainly are very active in that area and trying to um, trying to make it a theme for all of our projects, to be honest with you, something that you, a conversation you have with your client, no matter what the project is. Yeah, no, I think that um, obviously as the scale and, and scope of the organization increases, it, it gets more and more difficult to just align the organization with, uh, with one or a small number of impact themes. So I think both for IDB and IFC, um, there's, there's less of a, a specific thematic approach, but um, Nuru, um, how is IFC prioritizing its investment decisions in the climate space when it comes to impact? And are there any impact themes that are getting more attention than others? And if, if you did want to make any comments about uh, supporting women's access to capital, th this would be an appropriate time to, to mention that as well. Yeah, thanks, Christian. Um, yeah, on our side, uh, look, uh, you know, climate itself is a big uh, theme. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, we look at uh, everything from a pure uh, development impact perspective. So impact uh, can include everything from just uh, access to affordable, reliable energy uh, to uh, gender empowerment. So all of that we, we look at uh, through the lens of uh, development impact. I would say overall in terms of, you know, how we look at projects, uh, you know, one of, and I mentioned this before, but uh, if you look at our corporate uh, sort of tagline, we say, you know, creating markets, creating opportunities. Uh, and that, that's really sort of the, the focus here. Uh, yes, uh, there are the mainstream utility scale solar and wind projects that have come in the market and we finance them. Um, but in terms of our, our role, it's really to to try and work with governments and partners to uh, create uh, markets uh, going upstream, as we say. Um, and and here, uh, really, the focus is on low-income countries in frontier markets uh, in terms of creating opportunities, bankable projects uh, um, that that uh, helps uh, create long-lasting development impact. And and you know, to, to give you an example of of the approach we've taken here, uh, I think skin and solar is a good example uh, where. We are bringing the, the entire uh, World Bank group uh, in terms of our expertise uh, and capabilities on uh, financing, on advisory, on risk mitigation um, to, to come up with a standardized uh, um, uh, package, uh, scan solar, where, whereby you know, we work with governments to, to bid out uh, bankable solar projects. And uh, that's been quite successful. We started off in Zambia, then moved to Senegal. Uh, outside of uh, Africa, we've done uh, scaling solar now in Uzbekistan. And actually in Uzbekistan, we did the first scaling solar project last year. And then just recently, uh, the 400 megawatt scaling solar project was awarded. It was a, you know, a highly competitive bid and uh, got a record uh, breaking 1.8 cents uh, tariff. Uh, so quite uh, quite amazing in that sense. Uh, but what we see is that essentially we've come up with a, with a, with a product uh, that can be replicated, can, that can be scaled, uh, and we are moving into different markets uh, in Africa, also moving into Madagascar, into Togo, into Cote d'Ivoire uh, with, with this product. Um, and, you know, if I take the example of Uzbekistan, when we first did the scaling solar project uh, last year, that was the first IPP in the country. And if you look at Uzbekistan today, uh, not only do we have the second uh, scaling solar project there, but uh, in fact, there's a whole host of uh, you know solar and wind and gas projects uh, being bid out. Uh, so it's quite amazing how you know one project can lead to uh, the, the entire opening of the market. So that's that's sort of you know it's a different kind of impact, uh, but that's the kind of impact that we're looking for in our in our uh, in our projects. Uh, 
then you know more broadly also just in terms of uh, impact uh, we're looking at impact from innovation in terms of uh, new business models uh, like distributed generation uh, off grid mini grids um, that's uh, that's also an area of focus especially in africa and then obviously uh, we're also looking at uh, impact through innovation of technologies uh, uh, such as uh, in, you know uh, green hydrogen or battery storage or offshore wind uh, that that uh, we're actively uh, discussing and looking at uh, opportunities uh, globally. Thanks. Thanks, Nero. It's an interesting balance. I found um, even as a as a solar developer in in sub-Saharan Africa, um, when when you look at making a climate related investment, you think, wow, what impact would a solar project in Malawi be? A first first IPP in the country. Um, but you quickly go into discussions with with certainly with the DFI and IFI community about. Well, what kind of impact are we able to generate and and we end up uh, not only providing power, but also working with the community, uh, raising grant funding from various uh, government agencies and, and other agencies. To really take a look at the kind of impact that you can have in the community and that often leads to us making investments in education and uh, access to water and. All kinds of women's empowerment, uh, livelihood restoration plans that that deal with issues in the community, and and we can have a far more uh, impactful investment. Not not only providing power, but um, but all these other areas. And 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 this is where working with the IFIs and DFIs has been so helpful for us. That uh, not only can they, can they provide, um, you know, some of the some of the thinking behind how to how to enable these programs, but also provide. Different layers of of grant funding or or co investment that can enable these these programs. So that's that's been an interesting uh, experience for us. I'm going to turn us uh, to questions from from the uh, attendees here. We've got uh, we've got a list of questions that have come in through the chat. Um, the first one would be: How can project developers best prepare for a conversation with each of your institutions? And it's a question that I'd like to ask uh, each of the each of our panelists to to um, to address. Uh, Elizabeth, perhaps I can ask you to kick us off here. Sure. Um, I would say, uh, you know, when 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 you come to us, really we're open to having conversations sort of at any time in the project cycle earlier on or or later on as well. Work in infrastructure, right? So one of the first things we ask is always for an environmental impact assessment or some sort of environmental um uh, you know, study that has been done and that that's can't get very far without that. So, uh, you know, that's something that is very helpful to have if you come to us or at least, you know, have an idea of when you're going to have it. That that's very helpful, I think, to um, come to us. But, you know, again, we're also open to having more like sort of general conversations about sectors or, you know, we've had a number of larger companies asking us about, you know, the development of renewables in Colombia, you know, a, a market that's been moving a lot in that area or, you know, uh, the e-vehicle market in, in Chile. Or um, Paulo, can I ask you the same question? How can project developers best prepare for a conversation with FinDev Canada? Thanks, Christian. I think, um, you know, I think similar to, to what Liz, I think, was trying to say about sort of, you know, being sort of organized in terms of the project, like sort of having, you know, the, the uh, different, let's say, important documents, whether it's the, the environmental impact statement, whether you have sort of the, the PPA or not and so forth, but at least to, to, you know, be organized from the project perspective, but also sort of do your research uh, and take a look at who, you know, who you're speaking to. So for us, you know, as I said earlier, focus areas is, is LATAM. Uh, and sub-Saharan Africa, so don't don't bring us a project in Asia. Asia, you know, for us, you know, gender is very important, so you have to sort of be ready to talk about it. We will ask you anyways, but if you've done some thinking uh, on that, or if you know that there's some weaknesses, you know, just 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 say it, and let's and we're happy to sort of work with you, right? We're we're meant to be a more patient uh, source of capital, and so we're happy to sort of work with you uh, to see if we can get there. I mean, the project has to be viable, right? We will not sort of. Uh, structure the project, you know, for for developers. But uh, but if 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 they have enough of the elements there and they've and they they've done enough of their homework, we'd be happy to sort of roll up our sleeves and and work uh, work together with them. Yeah, I mean that that reflection sounds very familiar with with me. Uh, having brought FinDev Canada on as a as an investor in JCM, we certainly were not experts in women's economic empowerment. I think we've made great strides over the past year and. Being able to just reflect that uh, we are not experts, but we are uh, we are willing to learn and and work with you has been something that has been uh, 
quite rewarding for 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 the, the for the people within uh, JCM. So, um, you know, I, I think I would echo that uh, that willingness to learn and uh, and work with the DFIs is something that uh, you you can't be expected to be an expert in all things going into this. Uh, there's just there's too much there. Um, Nuru, do you have any anything to add uh, in terms of um, how to be best prepared to address IFC? Yeah, not not much to add, uh, Christian. But uh, you know, a lot of people ask this question, and I say there's no form to be filled uh, when you come to IFC. You know, it's uh, it's it's a lot of casual conversation in the beginning. Uh, yes, uh, the the more you are prepared in terms of technical feasibilities, environmental studies. Uh, the, the the more substantive the conversation will be. Um, we are in uh, most of the markets uh, physically located. We have off country offices in uh, you know uh, 100 plus countries. So so we, we have a lot of local knowledge also. So in many ways, when projects come to us or sponsors come to us, uh, we can we can help uh, quite a lot in terms of also providing not not just getting information, but actually providing information, sharing sharing uh, knowledge and. And, and really trying to help uh, along the way uh, on 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 developing that project uh, to a bankable stage, um, and because we invest uh, along the whole uh, chain, you know, from very early stage uh, project development uh, to to projects that are uh, that are finance ready, uh, we can have a discussion around you know even us coming in very early, uh, partnering with you in terms of uh, you know making that project uh, feasible, bankable. Uh, to then having a discussion around uh, uh, rearranging the, the financing for that project uh, down the road. So a uh, lot, lot of opportunities to have a conversation, uh, but uh, you know, ultimately we always step back and uh, and ask the question: Does the project make sense for the country? You know, is it uh, is it is it the kind of project that we, in the long run we want to support? Uh, because typically, you know, we we provide patient capital and. And you know we want to make sure that, uh, from a development perspective, that the project makes uh, good sense for the country. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we've we've had similar observations, and that uh, making sure that you're prepared with the environmental um, impact as well as uh, anti-bribery and corruption has been another area where we've seen a lot of focus in the early stages, understanding who the sponsor is and how you got contracts and how you got land, and 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 those kind of things are are. Kind of critical gating factors going into a, a discussion with the with the um, IFIs and DFIs. So certainly, I would I would encourage those with the project to to have a very uh, you know careful careful background and answer for those uh, those type of questions. Elizabeth, do we have you back? So one of the questions here: We are launching a new company in Colombia that's dedicated to developing and implementing hydrogen-based energy solutions. How does IDB decide what companies projects get funding? Uh, well, you know, I, I think I would totally echo what Nuru said in, in terms of there's no necessarily a checklist, um, but um, we, you know, come to us and, and, and bring to us your, your project and your, your whatever you, you want to be implementing in terms of the, the hydrogen-based solution, and we can talk about it. I mean, we have a process like most other banks where we um if we think it's a again a, a bankable initiative that makes sense for the country that's consistent with our objective which certainly um hydrogen solutions are um we 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 process what we call an eligibility approval for every project and we're looking at as you said christian those sort of kyc issues of who is the client? What are they? You know, um, what are they doing? What's their background? How did they get any concessions they have? You know, um, those types of things, uh, and and looking at also fundamental, you know, environmental and social, and those are the real threshold things that we look at at the beginning to say, is this something that we can do? Is this something that we can contemplate? And then um, and then we would be if we feel like it's something that, you know, we have a conversation, we offer some sort of financial solution that's acceptable to to you. Then we we can move forward with signing some sort of mandate letter where we're agreeing to work together on the financing without any real commitment. We're agreeing to work together on this uh, financing and then you know, it goes to our committees, which would be an internal committee, a management committee, and then we have our board. And so it's a process of deciding, but fundamentally what we're looking at is what are you doing and how does it align with our priorities for that sector? And are you a company that we want to be partnering with? Really, are you, do you want to partner with us as well, you know, to be working on this uh, transaction? 
um, and 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 trying to bring it forward, make it more sustainable, make it greener, whatever we we can add, however we can add value, we want to be able to do that. You know, it's not really a you know a checklist, but it is fundamental things that we're looking at from every client um, to try to make sure that. Um, you know that, that that it's a good fit, and 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 can we provide the financial 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 solution that you're looking for? Um, in Colombia, we we do have Colombian pesos, just to mention that, um, which I which can be very attractive in that market. I know, so you know, please let us know. We would be happy to have the conversation. Thanks, Elizabeth. It's it's certainly been our experience that um, most of the IFIs and DFIs have a very similar process starting with some kind of an internal approval to to dedicate resources and further the discussion and then it moves into a more formal approval process but um I think you know reflecting back on some of the some of the engagements that we've had over the years I think I've probably underestimated the importance of that first of that first management approval that uh, that really that does unlock a lot of internal resources and makes the project real for the DFIs and IFIs to to allocate those resources and to consider you know how how they can best help and so I think I always thought of it you know for a private company we think of you know an initial management uh, approval for something is kind of not that huge of a deal but uh, but but I do think uh, getting to that stage with uh, with the DFIs is meaningful and and allows you to move move the conversation forward so preparing preparing well for that is uh, something I I, I always um, speak uh speaks you know highly highly up um moving to another question from the from the audience it appears that the pandemic and political uncertainty have forced innovation that is more aligned with beneficial outcomes for local communities is this an acceleration of pre-existing trends or a forced rethink uh paulo i'm going to ask you to answer that question Great. Uh, thank you, Christian. So I think it's a bit of both. I, I feel like on you know on the one hand, this was touched on earlier. You know, there has been a forced rethink on some on some you know very important points, right? So I think Liz was talking about you know what about if we can't send our independent engineer to go and take a look at our project? Like you know you wouldn't have had to think that because you could always just send the engineer to to look at it, but but you can't anymore. So you have to rely on, on sort of local local resources, expertise, and so forth. So I feel like. Uh, that, that definitely that there are uh, forced rethink, but I think that some existing trends are, 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 have been accelerated, and I think there's some really good things there. So the idea, again, sticking on travel, of, of, of you know, maybe you don't have to send so many people from wherever your headquarters are to take a look at the project, and we can try to do a little bit more on, on video, right? So video due diligence has worked, and it can have sort of a, a more important role in projects. I think it's also forced a lot of collaboration, uh, and again, from our end, being a smaller, newer DFI, we don't have sort of the you know the teams at the different offices, but uh, we've been we've been working very closely with a number of other other uh, key partners uh, in our regions, and and it's great to sort of you know continue to sort of work together uh, and and take advantage of different you know resources that different organizations can bring, whether it's you know expertise in a certain area, the ability to do certain things quicker, or or or, or and so on and so forth. It's been it's been really good. So I'm, I'm sort of happy, and I hope we keep some of these positive uh, changes with uh, with uh, the pandemic and everything else that's happened along with it. Thank you. I'm going to move us to one last question here. How can developers get financing for investment analysis and investment advisory for projects in the range of five to $10 million? And I'd like to open it up to uh, to Nuru and or Elizabeth uh, to cover this last question. If you've got um, either, with you, either of you would like sure. to handle this question. Yeah, from, from the IFC side, uh, you know, we, we have the upstream window uh, through which we do look at uh, smaller projects uh, and, and also, you know, early stage projects where we can come in if, if, the, if we think that the project makes sense uh, to, to really, again, help uh, co-develop develop the project uh, and, and, you know, we can put in, uh, we can bring in uh, grant money, we can bring IFC money in, into the project to help uh, develop that. And that's sort of the intervention model. Um, where essentially, you know, we're putting in a couple of million dollars along with the main sponsor to develop the project uh, over a period of time. And as I mentioned, some projects uh, work well, some don't, uh, but that's the model uh, with interventions. Uh, so we, we do have pockets of uh, funds for, for this kind of uh, work. Elizabeth, I assume that there are also funds at IDB for this type of work? There are, there are definitely. Um... They're limited, you know. I I, I want to be. I we're looking. We're, we're allocating those funds to projects that we I think we see as being realistically 
you know, financeable within a, a reasonable period of time. You know, um, I, I, the the smaller projects are always a challenge, right? Because you want to try to simplify things enough in the financial structure as much as you can, so that you're not, you know, um, charging a million dollars in you know financing costs and advisors and things like that for a five million dollar project because it just doesn't make sense. So yeah. we've been, you know, just in terms of uh, of smaller projects, I think we've been uh, trying to get more flexible on that. We do have resources available to help pay for consultants and particularly legal costs for some of the smaller projects. And we are doing local law in a number of jurisdictions as well, using um, local law lawyers to, you know, doing a, a, our documentation in local law, which I think saves a lot of um, can save a lot of money for the developers. So, but upstream, we do the same as Nuru said. We do provide uh, financing. I, I'm not going to say that we provide a lot of like you know just pure equity type feasibility studies and and things like that because I think we do we don't really have the resources to you know to to for projects that are you know just sort of ideas at this point, right? You you we do need to have. Um, you know, sponsors that have some made some progress typically, but often what we're doing is if we have a project where, you know, there's a corporate that wants a certain amount of financing for capital expenditures, we'll provide f the funding for a feasibility study of the benefits of putting solar and batteries and and it's you know on its on its um property as well to to kind of incentivize that additional investment so that's the type of feasibility that we we often do quite frequently and we've done a lot of that recently um, um but i think i would say typically we're focusing those kind of donor resources on trying to reduce the cost it, cost for these projects once they're already mandated once we already are you know have we kind of know what we're financing and we're trying to keep it you know the whole budget into a reasonable level for the for the client. Yep. Thanks, Elizabeth. So uh, we're approaching the end of uh, of the time for today's session. We've covered a lot of ground. I'd like to thank Nuru, Elizabeth, and Paolo for their for their time this morning. We've covered a lot of ground. We've managed through uh, technical difficulties, and we've answered all of the panel all of the attendees' questions. So uh, thank you all for your time this morning. And I'm going to pass it over to Fahim, who will uh, make some closing statements. Great. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Christian, Paolo, Elizabeth, and Mary for such an insightful session. I think the examples you gave us um, of, you know, how you look at projects certainly helps me as a trade commissioner um, by Canadian project developers before they come to you. And I think this was really, really informative. So thank you all.